Gregory Warner here to tell you about NPR's new international podcast. It's called Rough Translation. Each week, we're going to take you to a different country to hear a story that reflects back on something that we are talking about here in the United States. Maybe get a perspective shift. Travel with us. Rough Translation is on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Betty. This week on the show, from NPR's Planet Money, Noah King, and from NPR's Code Switch team, Gene Demby. All right, let's start the show. She would have thought you were a guy. She does. Everyone does. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a very common thing. My name No. Noel. Noel. <laughs> As Aunt Betty said, we got some great guests here today. Gene Demby from Code Switch, Noel King from Planet Money, here for It's Been a Minute. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thanks for having you. us. It's Friday. We're in New Orleans. Yes. The rain stops for a bit. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful out. It's beautiful. I wouldn't say beautiful. It's really sticky. It's muggy out. <laughs> it's a beautiful city the on the surface of the sun. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we are here for NABJ, the National Association of Black Journalists. And it is a party. Yes. Yeah. It's been Actually, a, lot. a lot of parties. It's a lot of parties. <laughs> and I've, like, I've been basically overwhelmed since I got here, but mm-hmm. in a good way. So, yeah. Um, shout out to both of your teams, Code Switch mm-hmm. and Planet Money. Mm-hmm. Two uh, podcast listeners should check out. We're going to talk about what happened this week in the news, in the culture, everything. There's a lot. North Korea and the president's rhetoric. The Snap IPO. Rihanna and Diplo in, like, a faux feud. It's really hilarious. Uh, and we'll end the show with the best things that happened to our listeners all week. But first, this song. It's very New Orleans. It's a song from the Rebirth Brass Band mm. called The Dilemma. And I'm playing it because when I lived here years ago, I was what? I was an intern uh, in New Orleans for a summer in 2008. At WWL? No, uh, with the Broadmoor Development Corporation. Mm-hmm. Funny story, my boss back then, she's now running for mayor. Uh, yeah. Wow. Have you linked up since you've been back here? Not yet. I, I need to, but she's busy. I'm busy, you know. <laughs> but um, I used to go to Rebirth Brass Band shows, and when I tell you, it was a hot, sweaty mess. Like... You walk in, it's 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. The band is playing, everyone's dancing, and you're just like watching these guys play their horns, and you're like, how do you have the stamina? Because mm-hmm. I'm just standing up and I'm falling. <laughs> I'm like falling down. And then halfway through the show, the tuba player, oh while still playing the tuba, walks it. out with Ooh, the tip yes. jar. Oh, <laughs> it's like, give me your money, give me your money. It was the best show of my life ever. So this is Rebirth Brass Band, one of the best brass bands in this city to uh, welcome us and our listeners to the show today. Yes. Are you guys enjoying New Orleans? Yes. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's kind of hard to have a bad meal in the city, you know what I mean? But it's so much food, like I have this list of places to go to and I'm like, I'm not going to get to all of them. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. It's I'm not, not going to eat happen. for three days when I get home. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're going to start the show as we always do. I want us each to describe how this week felt, the week of news, the week of whatever, uh, in three words. I can already tell what President Trump's three words would be, most likely fire and fury, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which he, he, oh, he didn't tweet it. He said it to North Korea's leader, but he isn't here to give us three words. You guys are. What is y'all's? Gene, you want to go first? Sure. Uh, mine was actually related to Trump's bright red line. Uh, okay. So I have been trying to, like, retroactively get red in uh-huh. on North Korea stuff, right? Um, so the last couple of months, you know, as, as, like, the tensions have been escalating, you know, before it was like, well, they can't consistently build long-range missiles. Yes. But once they developed the ability to make long-range missiles, everyone's like, okay, well, the bright red line now is 
Uh, yeah. they, they will have the ability to miniaturize nuclear warheads to put on those missiles. And now they're saying they can do that. <laughs> do that, right? And so now the so bright red line is... Does the line keep moving? It, it's like, this is terrifying. Now the bright red line is like, well, can they get the missiles to go into outer space and then come back and like hit a long-range target on the continent of the U.S.? Um, and it's like, these things keep happening very fast. These Quickly. Lines keep, yeah, yeah. Like, these are is, quick steps. <laughs> it's terrifying. Like, well, and also, it's so weird because I feel like a year ago... We just weren't thinking about North Korea. Absolutely. No. All of a sudden, no. it's all we can think about. Right. And they've been trying to do this for a while. For a so time. my question to us is, like, should we have been taking this more seriously for years now? I, mean, I think a handful of analysts probably were. But it's one of those things where there's so much crazy stuff happening in the world. Like, yes. there's Syria. There's the entire Middle East. And so how much worry can you possibly expend? Yeah. I mean, yeah. as an individual. And how much does your worry help? Right. None, I've learned. <laughs> I spent all week in a panic. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, and what's so weird to me is that, like, the reporting that I hear from people in South Korea, people in Guam, they're mm-hmm. kind of like, whatever. Guam right. is chilling. Yeah. Like, it is calm like, they're like Guam. They're like, if it's our time, it's our time. Like right. I saw this great story the other day in the Times where this woman was like, I think it was the Times. She was like, yeah, we're all going to church a little bit more, but for the most part, we know where we're located. <laughs> this has always been a problem. It's really interesting. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. What are your three words? My three words feel a little silly compared to Gene's no, 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 words, no. but they are on the theme. Okay. They are of the moment. Giant inflatable chicken are my oh, three words. Oh, yeah. Silly. So there's this artist from California who has this giant blow-up chicken, 30 feet tall, imagine, 10 feet wide, and he's positioned it on the lawn in back of the White House. Which, but it's funny because of the hair. It looks like Trump. The it chicken has, like, looks Trump like hair, Trump. Right? It's got a quaff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is not... I don't mean to be disrespectful, right? I think the artist is sort of like Trump. Well, the artist wants to be disrespectful. Yes, he certainly does. He's (laughs) like, my point is that Trump is a chicken. He will not release his tax returns. He hasn't been forthcoming about what his relationship is with Russia. But here's what I like about it. It's been a week of such dark news. Mm -hmm. And I was watching news reports of people going down to see the giant inflatable chicken. And like a lot of people being interviewed about it don't get that it has anything to do with Trump. They're just like, hey, man, it's a giant inflatable chicken. They don't see the hair? Such joy to my heart. (laughs) And I'm like, I will happily watch people watch this chicken, Chicken Dawn, it's called, all week long. (laughs) And like throughout the administration, you've seen this kind of a game of chicken. Mm -hmm. Like Tillerson makes a statement about North Korea. Then Sebastian Gorka, who's also in the administration, shoots down Tillerson on TV. Right. Then you have like Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump who are in the same party. Now Trump is speaking and tweeting against Mitch McConnell. It's just all like a lot of kind of plain chicken. And then there's North Korea too, responding like, we are going to get you with the Mm -hmm, the fury mm -hmm. of a thousand. It's like, oh, everybody's. Everyone's playing chicken. We need another chicken pun now. We you got do. inflatable chicken, you got plain chicken. We need like a hen pecked. Someone has to make oh, a chicken. Oh, 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 gee, come three. on, it's time. Oh, you can do it, you can do it. I don't know. So uh, to perfectly dovetail with these thoughts, my three words for the week are simmer down now. <laughs> simmer Woo! down now. Because a lot of us need to. Yeah. Yeah. That was very good. Do it again. <laughs> simmer down now. <laughs> my favorite, the SNL <laughs> the presentation. Uh, she did this one thing once where she was like, how do you say Donna Summer in the phone book? <laughs> Summer Donna. Summer Donna. Simadana, Simadana. <laughs> I imagine John Kelly saying those exact words to Donald Trump. <laughs> anyway, we're going to hold right here for a quick break. We'll be right back with Long Distance, where we call a listener and see what's up where they live this week. Hmm. BRB. Hmm. 
support for NPR and the following message come from Newsy. Newsy offers a fresh take on what's happening in the world through quick, smart, candid video news. Newsy is passionate about context, solutions, and challenging bias to bring facts, not speculation, to its video news coverage. Visit Newsy.com slash watch for the latest. Support also comes from Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe makes everything about home security effortless, from having no long-term contract, which keeps you in charge, to sophisticated wireless technology that makes setup a breeze. With 24/7 professional alarm monitoring and police dispatch, your home stays safe around the clock. Right now, Simply Safe is having its biggest ever summer sale. For a limited time, get $100 off Simply Safe's special summer package. This sale ends soon. Visit simplysafenpr.com. All right, we are back in a moment. We'll go around the table and we'll each share a new story from the week that we want to talk about. But first, a thing we do every week, long distance. <laughs> Just a little bit. This is where we call a listener out in the country and ask them what's going on in their neck of the woods. Today on the line from Livonia, Michigan, just outside Detroit, we have Brian. Brian, you there? I am. How are you, Sam? I'm good. How are you? Did I say it right, Livonia? Yeah. Yep, you got it right. Sounds like someone's aunt. <laughs> Aunt Livonia. <laughs> Livonia. Yeah, I can see that for sure. <laughs> right? Uh, you're on the line with my good friends, Gene and Noel. Say hi, guys. Hey, good? Brian. How are you, Brian? Hey, Gene. Hey, Noel. So uh, before we talk about you and your work and your life and stuff, from what I understand, Brent tells me this is a special day for you. It is, yeah. It's my 11th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Hey, happy anniversary, dude. Thank you so much. Yeah, and um, it's also kind of crazy because I'm... 33 years old, so I've been married now for one-third of my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I got married pretty young. What's your wife's name? Amy. Okay. How'd you guys meet? Uh, We met at college, a small Christian university in Michigan. It was kind of encouraged to find a wife and get married and all that in that environment, but worked out for us. I wish my college had done that. (laughs) (laughs) It's come back to bite me, Brian. If you find the one, lock it down. What are you guys going to do for your anniversary? Um, We're keeping it a little low-key because we're saving up for a trip later in the year when we can get time off work. But in Michigan, we have a lot of lakes, so we're probably going to go to a lake and go floating and just relax. That's the dream. Yeah, it's not bad. So what do you do out there in Livonia? Well, I'm actually in IT with a social work agency. Okay. Um, And I used to be in social work for 11 years before that and just recently switched over to the IT department. You spent 11 years in social work with what kind of communities? Um, I worked a lot for a long time in the homeless community. I worked in a homeless shelter for a while. Okay. And... Most recently at a community mental health agency, so people with severe and persistent mental illness. Okay. And so you were doing things like, I'm guessing, helping them get health care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a big thing. You know, also just, I don't know, social work is kind of crazy because you're essentially in charge of people's lives. Wow. And whatever that may entail is kind of what you take care of. Um, Which can be everything. Right. It could be everything. Healthcare is a a huge part of that. You know, so your state, Michigan, uh, it's one of the states that expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. But uh, there are still some unknowns about the future of that bill, the future of Medicaid, because Republicans in, in D.C. still say that they hope to repeal the health care law. 
Um, are people in your community and the social, you know, worker community, um, are they worried about possible changes to things like Medicaid? And if so, what's the, you know, reaction to the current state of politics in D.C.? Um, well, we actually estimate that 20 percent of the population we serve is covered by Medicaid expansion. Hmm. Just the expansion. Um, wow. Just by the expansion, yeah. And so in Wayne County, Michigan, it's somewhere around a dozen community mental health agencies. And I work at one of those. And at one of those, 20% equals around 600. So we are very, very nervous about losing access to psychiatrists, to mental health medication, to needed case management services, to a whole realm of of other things. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you something? Because my, um, my, my little brother was a social worker for many years, still is one, but he worked with recovering addicts and he recently switched to a job where he's mostly doing training and grant writing. And I keep asking him, how do you like it? How do you like it? And he's like, I really miss working with people. Like, it's huh. just a totally different, it's a totally different ballgame. And I'm curious, the move to IT, do you, do you miss your people? I absolutely do. Yeah. I, I think it was the right decision, but, um, yeah. The good thing is I'm still in the same agency I was in before. Okay. So, you know, I'll go fix the computer at the building where I used to work and see a lot of the clients there. And so I'm still connected. I can still see how they're doing, but just kind of in a different realm. I think if cool. it would have been a hard cut, that would have been very difficult. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I forgot to ask this earlier, but, you know, you just left social work uh after some 11 years doing it, what's like a big lesson or the big lesson that you learned from your time doing that mm-hmm. and your work with those patients? You know, I, I, uh, I've been asked this question a lot over the years, uh, sometimes in mm-hmm. the realm of, like, do you think the people you help deserve it? Which really frustrates me. Mm-hmm. And I have to do what I, what mm-hmm. I can to ye- not yell at people when they ask it that way. Um, and then I, I'll have people kind of over-glorify, you know, talk about how people receiving services are heroes and they, they face all these struggles. And it's just, I don't know, I, I fall kind of in the middle where it's hmm. like they're just people trying to do what they can to survive yeah. without any safety net below them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that brings out some anger, frustrations, and I think I would most likely be angry and frustrated if I was in similar situations. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a normal emotion. And I, I just think they're just people doing what they can in a system that's very hard to navigate, uh. very hard to understand. And you kind of have to get to know the rules to be able to play the game. And then once you do get to know the rules, people will say you're playing the game too much. It's a, it's a hard position to be in like seeking social services like that. Yeah. Well, thank you for the work that you do. Oh, no. Yeah. No problem. So what are you going to do fun this weekend? Let's talk about fun for a little bit. Fun, yeah. Well, you know, after I'm done here, I'm actually hosting an episode of my podcast to the Internet. Whoa. What's your podcast podcast called? Well, it's called Best Song Ever. I've kind of harassed you a little on Twitter. I don't know if that rings a bell. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Tell me more. I've tagged you a bunch, and you're pretty responsive, so it's fun <laughs> when, when you respond on Twitter, you know? so <laughs> I'm going to plug your I podcast. I sent, like, a so playlist yeah, your way, and you liked yes. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> hey, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. 
Yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go have a great weekend. I'm going to download your podcast as soon as this one is done taping. And uh, thanks for being a Twitter friend. And I wish you and your wife a happy anniversary weekend. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Also, Gene, love Code Switch. Thank you, man. Ooh, appreciate every, you. You got a super every, listener. Every, uh, every Wednesday, you know, I, yeah, I get appreciate Gene you. in my feed, and it's fantastic. Thank you so much for saying that, man. Appreciate Check out Planet Money. Wednesdays and Fridays. Right, right. I will. <laughs> All right, Brian. Have a great weekend. All right, man. Be easy. All right, bye. 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 Yeah, bye. Listeners, be in touch for this segment. If you want us to give you a call and hear about anything, anything going on where you live, drop us a note. Tell us what's happening at samsanders at npr.org. Brent even says you can nominate someone for a call if the phone is not your thing. You yes. can say, call this one, call that one. Uh, he wants to, he says, hear more grandparents on the line. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yes, we all do. You really got excited we about that. all do. <laughs> Before we get to Story Swap, a quick call out and a request. We are trying an experiment next week. A call-in show. Uh-oh. So, I know, you guys are excited about this. Yeah. Time show, you're going to like, wah, 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 you know, Yes, just, so live. Yes. Maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for two hours on Tuesday, August 15th, wow. I will be in a booth here at NPR taking calls from whoever wants to talk. Oh, no. Um, we can talk about anything. Problem you're having, if you want to vent about something, if you have a question for me, if you have thoughts on the mediocrity of the new Jay Z album, whatever. <laughs> wow, okay. Even the production? Even the production? He used the same drum kit for every song. Yeah, but it's just so, uh, whatever. I know. We I know. Hard. We we'll disagree. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's talk it out. Here's how to do it, though. Email me, say what you want to talk about, and then leave me your phone number. That's it, and then we'll call you. But here's the catch. You have to be available at that phone number Mm. next Tuesday between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. East Coast time, Tuesday, August 15th. So again, call and show, email me your situation, and a phone number where I can reach you between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern next Tuesday, August 15th. All right? All right. P.S. I'm doing this whole call-in thing with Barry Hardiman, who is a friend of the show. You guys have heard her before. She's great. She's amazing. Uh, It'll be a good deal, I promise. And we'll uh, we'll give Noelle's grandma a call. Oh man! From beyond the grave, Roxy King. That's a great name. I know. know. She was a great lady. Yeah, she's tough as hell. She would have liked you. I love it. Was she like a a rock singer or something? Was she like she had to be like she had to be a bass player? No, no. She just raised a lot of children. Which is like having a band. Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) All right. Now it is time for the part of the show where we swap some stories from the week that was. Um, I hate to go first, but I'm going to go first. Do it. (laughs) So we all have been following, or at least I have, the ongoing and mushrooming saga around this secret Google memo Mm -hmm. that was leaked. Um, An employee there, an engineer there named James Damore, wrote a 10-page memo that was leaked recently all about how Google's diversity efforts around gender and race uh, weren't just misguided, but they were also failing. And he uh, said some things like this, quoting from the memo. 
Women, on average, have more neuroticism, higher anxiety, lower stress tolerance. This may contribute to the higher levels of anxiety and to the lower number of women in high-stress jobs. If y'all could see Noel right now, <laughs> he also Very said. He also said, "We always ask why we don't see women in top leadership positions, but we never ask why we see so many men in these jobs. These positions often require long, stressful hours that might not be worth it if you want a balanced and fulfilling life." So after this came out, there was a big brouhaha. He was fired. Uh, and since that, a few things have happened. First, all of the think pieces. <laughs> so many. Second, Google executives reaffirming their commitment to diversity. Uh, and then third, now Damore is threatening to sue Google. And since his firing, he has given interviews on YouTube to leaders in the alt-right. And he's become this kind of alt-right hero uh, doing interviews on YouTube, which is, strangely enough, owned by Google. Um, and in the latest wrinkle, just this morning, uh, Google had scheduled an all-hands staff meeting to talk about the state of diversity at the company, mm -hmm. but they canceled the meeting literally minutes before it was supposed to happen because some of the questions that came in early from employees had been leaked, and then people in the alt-right, like Milo Yiannopoulos, posted the Twitter bios of some of those people, and uh, they were threatened to be, like, doxxed. Mm -hmm. So the meeting was canceled. This thing keeps snowballing, and it got me asking a lot of bigger questions, mm -hmm. namely, like, how is this diversity problem, this gender problem, still such a big problem? So I talked with someone who uh, knows Silicon Valley quite well. Her name is Tracy Chow. Uh, she is a founding advisor for a group called Project Include. Uh, they work on issues of inclusion and diversity. And she, funnily enough, interned at Google hmm. 10 years ago. So I asked her uh, this week, do you think things have gotten better in the last 10 years in Silicon Valley? I suspect it may have actually gotten worse, not because they haven't tried, but um, because culture can feed on itself. And she basically said these cultures can perpetuate themselves. And what was really interesting to me is she said that a lot of times the diversity efforts that companies like Google take part in are counterproductive. Take, for example, the quintessential diversity training seminar. If not done correctly, I think what happens is that these um, mandatory trainings can engender resentment or cause people to feel like since they've gone through the training, they are no longer biased. And then there's also the danger that once a team or organization runs one of these trainings, they feel they've checked the box and they no longer need to do anything else. And so it's like the more that I dug into the story, I was like, is there a solution? Mm -hmm. What will ever fix this? I don't know. Women in leadership, more women in leadership. I don't know either. I'm, but I do know that the thing you hear again and again and again is that it's a pipeline problem. It's a pipeline problem. Mm -hmm. It's a pipeline problem. But if we've been having a pipeline problem for a decade, surely, surely by this point, we should have fixed the pipeline problem. Yeah. And it's also bigger than pipeline because we know that once women do make it to a place like Google, they're much more likely to leave quicker go. than men do. So something's happening at the culture in these spaces and places that's causing them to want to leave. You know, Tracy was telling me during her time in tech, she faced that thing that folks like her always seem to face. People don't take her seriously, mm -hmm. yeah. don't think she's as qualified or as smart, and they discount her good ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's like those are the kind of things that aren't pipeline. No, you know? <laughs> no, right. that's workplace culture. Yeah, and a lot. I mean, a lot of workplaces, a lot of you know, colleges, universities, like they weren't built to be diverse places to be like in the yeah. to begin with. And like, 
I think there's this like very naive notion that you just like add more brown people or add more women and the problem is fixed. Yeah. But when you introduce those people, that comes with like the allocation of new resources and new considerations, right? Yeah. I mean, like this is a problem for a lot of media organizations that are like have reputations for being really white. <clears throat> um, and uh, Did, was, was that cough on purpose? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, is that there's also like this built-in suspicion from the people who are coming in, who are people of color, who are women, um, who might be queer. When they come into these spaces, like, they're already coming in, like, on guard, right? Like, mm-hmm. with a sense of um, that this is going to be a hard culture to navigate mm-hmm. and to penetrate. Um, and so, it, like, the psychic reservoirs that people have, right, that they have to, like, sort of deplete to stay at work all the time. Like, they don't get refilled at work. They mm. don't have people they can go out with. Hanging out with the, your colleagues after work is, like, extra work. It is extra yeah. mental energy, you know? If yeah. you work at a place like Google and it's full of people... Like this guy, like, do you, you want to hang out with your colleagues after work, right? Yeah. That is extra effort Yeah, that well, your colleagues don't necessarily think of as extra effort. They just think of that as just hanging out. Yeah. I'll tell you the thing that I, because um, I'm struggling contro- to control my rage. Oh, let <laughs> it out. So let I it read out. the memo Same and space. then I read it again. I hate read it. I rage read it. I empathy read it. Because <laughs> I'm a woman, right? I read it in all the different ways. And the thing <laughs> that really raises one of my eyebrows like six feet high. You know, I love when people are like, here's a controversial opinion. I've got some data to back it Mm -hmm. up. I am out to change your mind, Noelle. I actually really like changing my mind. This dude was arguing that women are biologically different Mm -hmm. from men. That biologically, I am geared to be more anxious than you, Gene Denby. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I can't make it in this world that we call tech or media or whatever. And and I just, I mean... James Damore has not met me because I'm the most anxious person alive. (laughs) I will cop to being highly neurotic, but I will tell you... I work in media and I know a lot of very, very neurotic, successful men. I mean, yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't I know that people were upset that he was let go. People said, you know, you, you shouldn't be fired for expressing an opinion. But when you start talking about biological differences between genders and people smarter than me have said this. What if he had said biologically black people are different? Yep. Well, biologically sort of LGBT yeah. people are different or biologically people in wheelchairs obviously yeah. can't do this work. Right. Well, and also a lot of what he says in this memo ignores historical reality. Absolutely. People forget when software engineering first became a thing, Mm -hmm. it was unsexy, not prestigious, and it was mostly done by women. Mm -hmm. And Computers were literally, like that was the name of their job. Yeah. They were women called computers. Yeah. Yeah. And as Silicon Valley became ascendant and prestigious and lucrative, Mm -hmm. men swooped in. But there was a time when like coding was a woman's thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to see him do a debate. Like I want to give him. I want to give him a chance do to like. You? I want to see do him you? debate a woman. I do, but I do though. Okay. I want to see him debate a woman with data because I feel like I could talk up, down, and sideways, and James Damore will not hear me. I, my assumption is he will not hear me. I would like to. <laughs> well, see Well, he can't him hear Pastor Neuroses. <laughs> <laughs> Few people. Yeah, can. I don't you understand know. your lady brain. <laughs> Strangely enough, though, so Google's current head of diversity and inclusion, she was previously at Intel. And while she was there, she tried a relative kind of, well, not novel, actually, but a controversial uh, thing to fix diversity there. She instituted a 40 percent hiring quota for women and people of color. Hmm. That is super interesting. And the question of quotas, I mean, that that's a whole nother. We we don't have time for that story. (laughs) Absolutely. So. Speaking yeah. of things that don't have a fix, uh, <laughs> from what I understand, Gene, that might be your story. This is kind of related. Uh, you know, we're talking about big institutions trying to fix diversity. There was this uh, lawsuit filed by uh, this kid named Austin Ja. It's not a kid, I guess. He's a young man. He's 19 years old. Um, he applied to Harvard University. He said he did not get in because he was Asian-American. Um, that lawsuit is 
like the brainchild of this man named Edward Bloom, who is this fascinating figure. Who shops for cases. Absolutely. He had he the UT case with Abby. Abigail Fisher, right? Yeah. Texas v. Fisher, which is the big uh, affirmative action case from a couple terms ago. Um, Edward Bloom literally created a website soliciting Asian American kids. I remember like, this. Who thought that they'd been um, discriminated against And it had by like stock photos of like Asian people. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, Being do sad. they know they're in this? <laughs> Anyways. Um, and so the argument is basically that Asian-American kids are discriminated against by the Ivies and Harvard in particular because they're super qualified to go to these schools um, and they're not getting in. I think that the number of Asian-American kids at these schools has stayed pretty static. Yeah. And so their argument is this is similar to the way that uh, the Ivies sort of instituted this invisible quota on Jews back in the, the 1920s. Mm-hmm. So, like, Asian-Americans are being, like, used as a wedge in this conversation. Well, and, and it seems as if some white people are using— That's right. Asian Americans as a reason to say that affirmative action period should not exist. Right. And the kids who were in this kid's case is from one of those families. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that's just fascinating to think about both this Google story and this Harvard story is the way we are trying to correct these problems on the back end. Like uh-huh. once we're in these super elite spaces, like Google is a really, I mean, working at Google is really hard, right? Yeah. Harvard is obviously impossible to get into, right? Like, they, was like, like Trust me, it ain't. <laughs> <laughs> says the Harvard dude. Um, well, you went to Harvard? Oh, fake Harvard, the uh, Kennedy School. Oh, wow, all right, all right. It still counts. <laughs> it still counts. Um, also, if any of my former professors are listening, it's not fake. I'm going to lock it in that master's degree. But we're trying to get these, like, elite institutions to fix these problems that we haven't figured out in the rest of society, right? Like, all the advantages that accrue to kids who go to, like, the best schools, the best high schools, the best elementary schools, they have these resumes that look exactly the way yes. that your Stanfords and your Harvards and your Dukes yes. want resumes to look. But, you know, if you're a black kid or Latino kid from an inner city, like, you're more likely to go to a school that doesn't have AP courses, right? Yeah. Like, your road to that place, to the it's same decision point is so much different. And your track record looks different. It, you might have two years of working at McDonald's. That's right. Not volunteering with poor kids in an orphanage in, like, Rwanda. That's right. You know, like, it's just a a different set of life experiences. Absolutely. And, I mean, uh, what I really find interesting, though, is, like, when we... There's so much attention paid to the Harvards of the higher education Mm -hmm. game. For the majority of students going to college... It's not an issue of whether or not you go to Harvard. It's about whether or not you can afford college, period. That's exactly right. And there are, like... The bigger thing with schools like Harvard, they don't accept a lot of low-income students, period, regardless of their race. That's right. And a lot of these low-income students are facing bigger issues with, like, private student loan Mm -hmm. debt or for-profit colleges or not being able to finish school because of family obligations. Right. And we forget about those access questions Mm -hmm. because we're focused on these prestige issues. Yet it's still important, though, you know? Absolutely. And so what's interesting now with this affirmative action case at Harvard is that Donald Trump's DOJ, Department of Justice, has Mm -hmm. gotten involved and uh under the leadership of jeff sessions they did they file a brief they said they were going to investigate schools Inve- okay were, they're going to investigate and this is so trumpian uh uh julia craven at the huffington post called out the ed bloom the architect behind this case at harvard she called him she's like hey so donald trump just said that they're going to investigate affirmative action at these universities and ed bloom was just like i haven't heard about this he was like i actually Wait, so team trump hadn't called the guy, behind, called the the guy case. behind the case yeah wow yeah, it was crazy. Interesting. He was just like, you know, Trump shooting from the hip, you know? Yeah. Give us a fun, happy story, Noah. <laughs> okay, so I want to start with a caveat, which is when I 
my story for the week when I brought this to my editor and I was like, I have this story about the dovetailing of two really interesting economic trends. He was like, uh, shut it down. I don't even want to hear about one interesting economic And he's an shut editor. Uh, so Which he's editor? Like, you can't frame it that way. Uh, Brian Erstad of Planet uh, Money, lovely man. He's a nice lovely guy. Lovely man, uh, yeah. but tries to keep uh, our stories popping. So anyway, he was like, just start with Snapchat. Just yes, start with Snapchat. Yes, okay. So yes. here's the deal. Snapchat, this big tech company recently. First question, do any of us actually use Snapchat? I, it's impossible. I can't really figure it out. It's so hard. It is. Second question, how old is everyone here? I'm 36. I'm 36. 32. Okay. We're not old people. Yeah, I just want to know. It's made for the super young. Yeah. It's yeah. made for the super young. It's made, like, if you're over 25, you probably don't get Snapchat. And it was and built that, to be. They want it that way, right? Yeah, they built yeah. it to be, yeah. like, sort of a little bit difficult. Yeah. It's you know? exclusive. And I used to do Snapchat during the campaign all the time, but we had we had to have our intern, like, <laughs> hold the phone and do it for me. So I'd stand there and talk, but, like, they'd be recording. You're a young Sam person. Sanders, Secrets from the Trail. <laughs> <laughs> More at nine. Yeah. Anyway, I cut you off. <laughs> All right. So Snap is this company that ha- went public a couple months ago, and it is a valuable company. It's got a market cap of $16 billion. This is a thriving tech company. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no Facebook. It's no Amazon yet. But the founders who are young kind of want it to be, clearly yeah. want it to be. Yeah. So the S&P 500 is a, is a stock index. It's an index of the biggest companies in the world. Okay. It's an important index. And can I tell you why, for people who are tempted to tune out, do you have a 403B through work? Do you put yes, retirement money? money in okay. Not enough, but... <laughs> okay, same here. <laughs> Probably all three of us. But the idea is... If you have a 403B through work, if you have a 401k, if you're putting money into a 529 for your kid's college fund, you are investing in an index like the S&P 500. So it's our money's in there. That's right. That's okay. right. So when you hear the S&P goes up, Sam, your retirement is doing hey, well. Okay. You hear the S&P goes down, Gene, you just took a hit. All uh, right. So the S&P is super important. And a couple of days ago, the S&P came out and said, even though we are an index of the biggest companies in the world, we are not going to let Snapchat into our index. Why not? And everyone was like, why not? It's a big company. It's it's a tech company is thriving. So it's because of this really interesting trend. You have companies coming up like Snapchat and a lot of other tech companies started by young people that are issuing stock, that when they go public and they issue stock, the way it normally works is you issue stock to your shareholders and your shareholders then get to vote on important things in the company. Like, yes. who is the CEO? They have a say. That's they right. Have a they share. have a share. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. You have to, yeah. just defined it. So what Snapchat did was they came out and they're like, we're going to issue three different classes of stock. One of them for the founders, these Mm -hmm. two young guys, um, Evan Spiegel and Bobby Murphy, one of them gives us all of the power to say whether or not the company can be sold, to say who the CEO should be, can he be removed. A second class of stock is for people who worked for the company early or were early investors. They have a little bit of power. But the third class of stock for people like you and me investing in Uh the Mm S&P. No power whatsoever. That seems really foul. Bob Murphy and Evan Spiegel, an analyst, an analyst, a company analyst told me, she's like, these young men could fall off a bridge, hit their heads, be knocked unconscious, go in the hospital, be in the hospital for like weeks and they would still be in control oh of this company. Goodness. Right. So so that's been happening a lot with tech companies because why? Young men yeah. who think of themselves and have been told, and maybe they are geniuses, yeah. and they think that you and me and you, we should be investing in their vision. Mm-hmm. And if they have a bad quarter or if they their earnings aren't so good, vision. we are supposed to trust the vision. <sighs> and so the S&P came out and was they like, you no. know what? This is a growing trend. Forget it, guys. 
you're done. You're out of the index. So what's going to happen next? Are we going to see more companies be Snapchatted out of the S&P 500? That is such a good question. And this is the question I was asking analysts all weekend. They're like, you know what? S&P is the first domino to fall. The other stock indices, the big indices, in fact, there was one in London, the Russell Index recently did the same thing. Really? Like, no more of this. So what I think we'll see is two things. I think more indices will say no, but I still think there will be more companies like Snap coming along that will try to do the same thing, different classes of stock. What, what would be the upside for someone who wanted to buy a stock in one of these companies in which they had basically no say? Because imagine that Snap is the next Amazon or the next Facebook and we miss out, right? But here's the thing, especially with Snapchat, they have not yet proven that they're a profitable company. Right. They have not. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've been watching Snapchat and their stocks have been falling. Have you been snapping After, Snapchat stocks? I don't snap, though. <laughs> Not snapping the Snapchat. After their IPO, you know, they've kind of been floundering. And the problem with Snapchat is as soon as they create a new fun social media thing, mm-hmm. Instagram does it with a bigger audience. Right? That's it. And like all these social platforms sort of like cycle in and out. They have a yeah. moment in the sun and they yeah. disappear. Remember, Remember Vine? For that's that's oh, what Friendster. makes the confidence <laughs> of these young men mm. so fascinating to me. I'm like, you you all must know something that we don't because you're 26 or 27 or 28 and you're like, nah, I got this. I got this. Nah, Even got like this. Snapchat's core users will age out of it, right? They're like, yo, I'm 23 right now and at some point you'll be 30 like, man, I got time to be snapping all this, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, turn up. Texting no, like, yeah, trust me. <laughs> like, old people like, I can tell you that my experience at NABJ so far has been that people of all ages are Snapchatting like, whoa. Are they? <laughs> On the okay. dance floor at the party. We're out of it, guys. We're out of <laughs> it's it. Not, we're out of it. <laughs> I would say snap us, listeners, but, like, don't. <laughs> we will never see anything us. you send us. Gene, yeah. yourself. <laughs> All right, time for one more quick break. When we come back, we'll play Who Said That, and we will hear our listeners tell us the best things that happened to them all week. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message come from the Platinum Card from American Express. There's a great big world out there, and no other card lets you experience it like the Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Support for It's Been a Minute and the following message also come from Southern New Hampshire University, whose mission is to make higher education accessible and affordable online for everyone. If you were considering college, whether for the first time or going back to complete your degree, you want to make financially savvy decisions and avoid financial aid mistakes. You can learn more about Southern New Hampshire University and the top three financial mistakes to avoid by texting EDGE to 554433. Message and data rates may apply. Quick plug before we get back to the show. This summer, I know you do not want to spend too much time having to keep up with the news. So NPR has a great way to streamline your news diet. It's called Up First. It's a 10-minute daily news podcast out every weekday morning. It gives you a quick update on the news you need to know to start your day. Makes you real smart, real fast. I listen every morning. You should, too. Grab Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, we are back. It's time for my favorite game. Do you watch The Housewives? No. Which Housewives? I'm really behind on pop culture. Okay. Atlanta. <laughs> All right, so the game is very simple. I share a quote from the week. You guys have to guess who said that. We'll do three or four of these today, probably just three. Um, the winner wins nothing. Oh. <laughs> okay. Welcome. <laughs> First quote. We found this was an extreme property. 
It's an entire area of the community. <gasps> oh, okay. All oh, the I know. common I know. areas. I was pleasantly surprised. Who said that? Uh, this is that story out of San Francisco. Yeah. About the couple who bought the block. Yes. Ta-da! That is the I knew most this. I San knew Francisco this. You story. You jumped on it faster. <laughs> so this story is crazy. It was reported first Monday by the San Francisco Chronicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, this young couple looking for a good real estate deal found the best deal. For about $90,000, they bought... They bought one of the most exclusive streets in San Francisco. Not the houses. Yeah, just the, just the street. street. <laughs> so all these people own these million-dollar mansions, but the street that they live on is now owned by these two people. These, uh, Their names are Tina Lamb and Michael Chang. Props, guys. Props. They did it. And so they were able to do it because there was a $14 a year property tax for the street that got lost in the wash and addresses got mixed up. And so no one paid it. And it was up for auction. All these rich people didn't pay their fourteen dollar <laughs> bill, and now, well, it seems like it was a glitch on the side of the homeowners association. Oh, mm-hmm. it always is. And they've is. said we moved offices, and y'all didn't mail us the right bill. <laughs> I don't know. And the city said, like, oh, there's nothing we can do about it now. Yes. The street has been sold. Yeah, and so now the folks that bought the street, Tina and Michael, are like, we might charge the people that live here for parking. That is. <laughs> Gutsy. And that a is gutsy. further wrinkle. So this really exclusive, crazy street, which has now been bought by two Asian people, uh, turns out this property previously, up until like a few decades ago, uh, had a racially restrictive covenant on mm-hmm. it. And it was not allowed to be sold to mm-hmm. anyone but white people. Mm-hmm. Mm. And now this. There you go. I tell you, this story. Yeah. Ironic's not the word, but it's just... The story's cray. It's something else. The story's cray. This is the most San Francisco story I've ever heard. Right? Yes. Right? Yes. All right. Next quote. Hands on buzzers. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a reggae song at an airport. Who said that? Rihanna said this. Hey! Gene oh. is on a roll. Gene, you are winning. <laughs> oh, this is not fair. So okay. you guys didn't hear this, but Noelle actually was saying that she doesn't listen to a lot of music, so you probably wouldn't have got this. I oh, know. it's not fair. It's okay. That's it's okay. Right. That's okay. Tell us about the... Because I'm going to go download it on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was so Diplo from uh, Major Laser yes. was being interviewed by a magazine. GQ. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know if it was GQ. Yeah. He's being interviewed by a magazine. He says um, that he wanted to collaborate with Rihanna on a yes. song. And Rihanna said <laughs> that his music sounded like reggae at an, an airport. airport. <laughs> Which also, I don't have a problem with reggae at an airport. <laughs> no one does. So Rihanna was having this listening session. Basically, a lot of producers come in, play her a ton of tracks, and she picks the tracks she likes, then they make a song around There's it. There's a Planet Money episode about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She did not like any of Diplo's tracks wow. and told him that it sounded like a reggae song. At the airport, once he told this story, people were kind of clowning him, but he tweeted later, if you've been inside the private airport me and Rihanna use, you'd realize it wasn't actually an insult. <laughs> First Good of all, comeback, that's Diplo. disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and so then some rando on Twitter said, well, if we're talking about reggae and stuff, how about Diplo curate all the music for all the terminals at Miami's airport that go out to the Caribbean? And then Miami Airport, their official account on Twitter, and Diplo himself on Twitter said, sure, why not? What? That's a nice end <laughs> so hopefully to a that happens. story. I hopefully love that it. happens. Also, I don't hate Diplo. He's made some hits. So that the the, the biggest song of 2015, Lean On by, by Major Lazer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know that song? Mm-hmm. Great writing song. Yeah. So you, you know this song. I'm sure I do. <laughs> but Diplo wrote that. Diplo's written a lot of songs for Beyonce. Like, he produced... Paper Planes from M.I.A. Oh, wow. That song I know and love. He's done some Bad hits. He's got some okay. bops. Okay. I'm not mad at Diplo. Diplo and Rihanna collaborate. Yeah. 
All right, uh, Gene is up too. We only have one quote left, so it's probably over. But there might be a double touchdown field goal. Who knows? Who knows? It's a real toughie. All right, here's the quote. God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. But don't buy too much avocado toast or you'll never be able to afford a house. And they were shook. Who okay. said that? Definitely the Bible. Definitely the Bible. No, that was a, this great McSweeney's article yes. about if God was a millennial. That was super. Yes. That yes. was really funny. The article was really so good. The, it's called And God Created Millennial Earth. And it basically <laughs> wrote out the creation story from Genesis yes. as if it were written by a millennial. I got to share a few of those. First verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hashtag creation goals. Hashtag earth is bay. <laughs> uh, second verse. Now the earth was formless and basic. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was low-key hovering over the waters. Yes! <laughs> That's my favorite. Verse 22. Then God said, woke as ever, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth, which was Vivi on brand for God. <laughs> <laughs> this whole thing is just beautiful. Um, oh, last one. And God saw all that he had made and he literally couldn't even. <laughs> <laughs> and there was evening and there was morning and God said and God was like for heaven's sake this place is cray I'm out and he requested an Uber and it was so <laughs> there's one other verse that I can't find right now but it's basically like and God said let there be light and it was lit AF <laughs> this was just the perfect thing genius article the author of that article uh, Sarah K. Runnels I tried to find her on Twitter this week I could not Sarah K. Runnels if you're out there Thank you for this. It was so good. It's killer. So, Jean, you won, but Noel, we still think you're great. By yes. a hair. It's because you're so neurotic. Next time. It's because I'm. <laughs> we have a rematch. All right, we're almost out of here, but first, I got to plug Tuesday's episode. It's a deep dive, but this one's a bit different. Um, I spent a whole day a few weeks ago at the offices of The Onion. Wow. I went to Chicago, and they let me hang out with them for a day. It was super fun. I took, like, three recording kits and three big old fuzzy mics and just stuck them in their daily editorial meeting. What is the office like? Well, you got to listen to find out, Gene. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a nice office. It's really weird. Like, I was telling them there at the Onion's office, I was like, whenever I read you guys, I can't be quiet. I'm laughing. I'm talking about it. I'm loud about reading The Onion. But when you're in the offices of The Onion, it's super quiet. Really? They're really introverted. We talk all about that. They were fascinating. I can't wait to hear that. It's super fun. Uh, I talked with senior writers and editors there. I sat in on the big editorial meeting. We talked about the news, what they do, how their jobs are different now, that news is basically just a daily parody of itself. It was really fun. It's dropping on Tuesday. It's going to be unlike the Tuesday stuff you've heard before, but I think you'll like it. That's what's up. Listening yeah. party. The Onion. All right. Let's end the show as we always do. Each week, we ask our listeners to send us a recording of themselves sharing the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage them to brag. We get a lot of good audio. Brent uh, pulled it together in a little montage that we're going to play right now. Hey, Sam. This is Sarah in Camano Island, Washington. The best thing that happened to me this week is I finished my first week on the floor as a brand new registered nurse. Congrats. And um, I laughed. I cried. It was amazing and heartbreaking wow. and mm. confirmed that this is my calling wow. and uh, not to take anything in life for granted. Mm. Nice. Hi, Sam. 
So the best part of my week was introducing my adoptive dad, the man who raised me for 33 years, with my biological mother wow. who gave me up for adoption when I was just a baby. Oh my goodness. Um, it was amazing to bring two people that I love and cherish so much together. And we got to share some delicious Chicago-style deep dish pizza. Yeah. So it was overall just the best lunch I think I've ever had. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I finished moving into my first grown-up apartment. Yes. Uh, struggling to park today, an older woman stops me and step-by-step uh, step taught me how to parallel park. Oh, yes! This week is actually my girlfriend's birthday. I plan on surprising her with a brand new kitten. Oh. Hey Sam, the best thing that happened to me this week was after months of background checks and interviews and so many doctor's appointments, I finally medically pre-qualified for the U.S. Antarctic program. Wow. I deploy in October to McMurdo Station. I'm so excited. Congrats. Hey, Sam. This is Jamie in Post Falls, Idaho. Best thing that happened to me all week was having my two nieces spending some time out here with us in Idaho. Uh, they're from Billings, Montana, and um, between the two of them and my daughter, all of them between the ages of 8 and 11, we just had a heck of a week going to the theme park and going to the beach and they gave me a pedicure and I let them French braid my hair, which was really painful, by the way. <laughs> uh, at any rate, it was just so awesome to have them out here and enjoy all those great memories and, and participate in childhood with them all over again. Love you, Naya and Britain. Oh. Can't wait to have you back here. Uncle Jamie loves you. Oh. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Have a great one. Bye. These are always the best. You've got to get that lady so on the phone when she gets to Antarctica. Yo, oh, I know. <laughs> What's going around, on What does it look like? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks to Sarah, the nurse. Sarah, who was adopted. Amazing story. Uh, Lily, Maddie, Rhiannon, Winston, and Brooke. And thanks to Uncle Jamie up there in Idaho. Also, shout out to Cynthia, who wrote us. She made some great progress in her physical therapy this week. Congrats on that. Uh, Brent and I listen to all of these that come in. We just wish we had time to play them all, but we don't. Mm -hmm. But know that when you hit send on those emails, it lands in our inbox, and we listen, and we hear it, and we appreciate it. Uh, to all those that want to share their best thing all week, you can do that at any time throughout the week. Just record yourself and send the file to samsanders at npr.org. We are done. It's time to, like, go party. Turn up. <laughs> Turn up in New Orleans. Uh, we're going to head back to NABJ and try to stay up with the youths and keep dancing all night Snapchat. long. Snapchatting. <laughs> Snapchatting. <laughs> this week, the show was edited by Jeff Rogers and Steve Nelson, produced by Brent Bachman. To the wonderful team at WWNO, thanks for having us here. Super appreciate it. Uh, special thanks to Jenny Lawson here at the station for helping us out all week and also helping out our friends at 1A who taped a show or two here as well. Uh, refresh your feed Tuesday morning for The Onion. Yes. Until then, thanks for listening. Talk soon. Thank you, Rebirth Brass Band. you got to see them live. It's yeah. epic. Yeah. It's epic. And warm. You know. It's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good.